Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we welcome back into the studio Reverend Jim McGrath, who is the associate pastor of Gateway Christian Church. And today we have a very interesting, almost political topic. It's going to be the misuse of Christian symbols to justify oppression and Jim's going to take us through history to show us how this has happened and how this has implications today. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our broadcast. It's really great having you. Um, we've got a couple of things going on. We've got next week is Spell It Out, Magic, Reflections, and Shadows. Krista's, you know, do whatever she wishes episode. Um, we are going to make a little change. We're going to start pre-recording that because Tuesdays have gotten very busy for me the first Tuesday, so it's going to make my life a little easier. So we may not be here for the chat, but we'll be live hopefully the rest of the month. So um, tune in and, and you can always leave a comment and we'll happily check the comments and respond to that. So that's next week. Um, get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. While you're there, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can afford to. It really helps us a little bit with our production costs, and we definitely appreciate it. It makes us feel loved, too. Um, or subscribe to our newsletter and whatnot. Um, so all kinds of great stuff. And uh, I'm not going to take up too much time because this is going to be a, a very good topic, and I'm looking forward to it. So with that, take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael, and, and welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. I haven't been here in a while, and I've missed it. Well, good. We like having people in the studio, so we really appreciate that you yeah. came into the studio and today. And what a studio. <laughs> it is a great studio. Everyone always comments on it, <laughs> even though it's not ours. <laughs> it's great. It's still great. <laughs> it's still good. So let's get started on the topic. Um, so when would you like to start with sort of the idea that you're presenting about that even the religion itself has has been misused in a way um, to promote violence and oppression. Well, I'd like to start kind of with right now because uh, there is currently, as you may have heard, a uh, Christian nationalist movement, which is, you know, kind of grown from from what it's been for now. Christian nationalism uh, that doesn't necessarily mean kind patriotism or <laughs> it, it it is ku klux klan talk i mean ah. that that's the kind of language that that the ku klux klan used and it does christian nationalism uh does mean uh racial oppression and certainly oppression of people of other religions and suggests even some form of violence and that has it's significant today because it's making its way into mainstream political discussions and there mm. are people in the uh, both houses of the congress who will use that word as a good thing uh and will campaign as christian nationalists so so it's 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 kind of growing in a sense and so I think it's worth looking at people outside of that movement, look at it, and they say, well, that's not Christian, or that's not my idea of, of the teachings of Jesus. And critics of Christian nationalists will bring up, you know, the, the teachings of Jesus. So the, the point I want to make about all that is that there is, a, in, in, in the Christian tradition, it, Christianity is a movement, a church, uh, the biggest in the world, and it has a history, which I don't think we should blink when we look at. I think we should see it for what it is. Hmm. Uh, and it's not just the teachings of Jesus. It's a lot of other things, too, And in, in its history. And, and I hold that there is a certain amount of violence and oppression that is woven into the Christian tradition, that's baked in. 
um, and because of its history, and because the the symbol of Christianity is the cross, right? That's a violent image right there. And the, the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is fundamental to Christian faith, is a violent story. And it's, so it's taking place within a world of violence. And even though uh, Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, and all of that stuff in Jesus' teachings, what we have in the Bible is an Old Testament <clears throat> with the books uh, Joshua and Judges in them. And it's a story that forms the basics, the basis of the whole Judeo-Christian and Jewish traditions. It's the basis is the story of Moses leading the people out of slavery to the promised land, uh, guided by God, and God has promised him this land. Well, Moses dies before they get there. When He, he dies when it's in sight, so he knows that he has accomplished his mission. And his second-in-command, Joshua, leads the people to the promised land. When they get there, what they find is people who already occupy the space, and they're willing to fight. You know, they're willing to fight to maintain it. They don't want these people coming in. And so uh, in, in the book of Joshua and Judges, you have a period of like 500 years of constant warfare. Mm. And the... Uh, the idea, especially in the book of Judges, is that the judges were men who led, or I think there's a female judge actually in there, uh, but people who led uh, the followers that Moses brought out into battle against superior odds and are victorious. And they are victorious because God is on their side, because the, the they had, they're following the commands of God. And all through Joshua and Judges, you you have them receiving the message from God of get in there and fight these people, you know, kill them, destroy them. So they are doing so in a righteous way uh, to occupy the land that they had been promised by God. Now you juxtapose that story into the time of the European conquerors coming to this continent. And uh, they encounter the Native Americans who are already there. I want to go back to the whole cross thing first. I will. I will get back okay. to that. But but uh, I just just to finish this point, the people who are already there and they are violently subdued and converted into Christianity. Uh, so it, it just seems to me that the stories in Joshua and Judges would serve as some rationale. For or justification for doing that. Now, go ahead. Well, first of all, going back to the symbol of the cross being one of violence, it, in other cultures it isn't. So like in the Native American, it's the four directions. So the, the, in that context, it is uh, of violence in terms of the crucifixion, because, you know, that's pretty but horrible. It, it but it refers to a specific cross. Right, you know, right. But, but, you know, these these symbols and images are different in some ways and we do have to take account that that the symbol of the cross is really broad it's in many cultures and of course in christianity it means this and that and i just wanted to sort of make a note that that that's also the way symbols can be distorted by another group like the nazis with the swastika turning them in a different way from the indian and um and so when we're talking about symbols um, there's almost this evolution even in Christianity that you can even see, you know, with some of the symbols becoming more dramatically used or whatever and, and in order to oppress um, people. Michael and I, just as an aside, uh, when we first started doing tarot readings in a mall in Nova Scotia, this couple were very Christian, and we, we had the right to be there. We were paying rent. And the, the guy would come up and he would shake this image on a piece of paper of a cross at us. <laughs> it was crazy. And he was really angry. They kicked him out. Wow. Eventually, because he was very serious about we were evil. Wow. And yeah. But he actually used that image mm. to shake it like it was going to do something. And instead, he got kicked out. <laughs> well, that's, so. that's, that's a way it is used yeah. as kind of a psychic weapon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the cross itself used that way is a weapon so 
the the symbol of the cross, I think, gets a certain amount of meaning in this when in the fourth century, in the Roman Empire, Christianity was slowly growing. They had uh, they they'd been almost wiped out in the. I think it was the second century where there was a lot of uh, persecution of Christians. And from the point of view of the Romans, there's no difference between Christians and Jews. They're all one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Christian history professors tend to teach it like they just hated Christ or whatever. But no, it's anybody who's not going to worship those Roman gods has got to go. And there was a period then of lenience where that that followed uh, so in in the third and into the fourth century the movement is growing within the roman empire and constantine the roman emperor would take his armies into battle using the symbol of apollo uh with the idea that that would give them a certain edge that the symbol would somehow denote the presence of apollo who would bring them victory and his constantine's mother had converted to Christianity. And she said, why don't you try the cross instead of Apollo? So he goes into the battle with the cross on the shield and wins. And he converts. And then he decides to convert the whole empire. And Christianity moves from being an underground religion to being a state religion. Boom. Really quickly. And his own understanding of that religion, I'm just saying it, it, it begins with the sense that God is on his side in battle. Uh, I think it probably grew into other things. And, of course, he uh, arranged for the Council of Nicaea, which was really the beginning of the church as, as we know it. Uh, there was a church before that, but the beginning of the church. And the beginning of Christianity being a European brand, Christianity became associated with powerful nations in Europe state religions of those nations. And so, you know, right away, these are oppressive nations, violent nations. And so the cross is then identified more and more with this violence and with the justification for it. And that's really, I, I think that is a part of Christian history which you cannot ignore. And then you go on to all, into all the other things, uh, such as the Crusades, which were basically a war of the Europeans against the Middle Easterners for Jerusalem, to get Jerusalem back. That was the excuse. What it ended up being was a lot of violence and looting. And uh, the, this, this goes on for like 300 years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's all seen as being not just justified, but a noble act in the eyes of God. You're doing this for God. So then you, you reach a point where it explodes too much with the Spanish Inquisition. Spanish Inquisition was uh, supported by the Pope and the Church in Rome and was largely driven by Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand of Spain. And it, it was Jews were killed by the, the millions. I mean, they, they, it, was just, it was just wiping out of people who were not, you know, of the religion, and and Jews could confess to Christianity and were were tolerated and considered what they called conversos, uh, but their sincerity was not appreciated, and in many cases it was not there. You know, they were mm-hmm. they were trying to stay alive. Right. So, the you know you have this thing that explodes into something that is really just too harsh for the world to bear. So what you have right after that is uh, the Renaissance, where there is this blossoming of culture. And uh, a lot of our modern ideas today are born then in reaction against that kind of oppression. And what you have during the Renaissance is the Protestant Reformation. And in the Protestant Reformation, you have a guy, Martin Luther, who is returning to a teaching of Paul from the Bible and the church, the Roman church had gotten very far away from this. The idea of the priesthood of all believers, in other words, there's no such thing as a spiritual hierarchy. In other words, we are all equidistant from God. This was a revolutionary turn, even though it's in the early Christian writings. For the church 
And every church, every Christian church was affected by this, Catholics and Protestants, uh, that it was kind of a return, in a sense, to first century Christian thinking. So, you know, you have these periods in history where it, it, it comes and it goes away. Just like in, uh, in the Islamic world, they, every 300 years, there's a Shiite revival, mm. you know, which we're, I think, hitting sort of the end of one now. Uh, that, that's just a regular kind of thing. So these things come back. And in, in the exploration of the new world to the founding of our nation, uh, there was certainly violence and oppression of, of minorities. There was slavery. Slavery was justified by the Bible, uh, supposedly. So I'm, I'm just saying that all of this stuff in mainstream Christianity, mainline Christianity, all of the sects is present in some form. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what, what, what is all, and I'm not justifying it and I'm not defending it, uh, because I, I'm, I'm not of it personally. Uh, I prefer to look at the teachings of Jesus, but the teachings of Jesus are anti-organizational. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you, does that make sense? Anarchy? Well, not... <laughs> Jesus <laughs> was... Expe- <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting idea. Well, the Romans thought he was a troublemaker politically, well, right? Well, that, that's the thing, is that he was expected by the Jews, if he were to be the Messiah, to lead the Jews in a revolution against the Roman Empire and uh, and throw them off their backs, in a sense. Even though, uh, for conquerors, the Romans were pretty good to the Jews. They were, they were tolerant of their religion. They, you know, and uh, Jesus, I think, was expected to be the leader of this res- revolution. That's why we, the, the promised one who would be uh, kind of the second coming of David, in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, who would be a great military leader, Jesus instead, he used that language metaphorically to describe an inner experience. So he was not that. Mm. And um, so he th- that's one reason, in my opinion, why he was persecuted. Now, when the Romans saw that the Jews were getting all worked up with the presence of Jesus... They arrested him, and the charge was sedition. And that's the exact charge which Jesus, according to what we know of him from the Gospels, was not in at all, Mm. that he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about, yeah, you know, pay your taxes to the Romans. Mm -hmm. Pay the man. It's all right. You know, just just relax. Love God. Love your neighbor. Be, you know. Um, And that was against, when I say anti-organizational, that was against the structure of the religion as it was then. And so you have his speech about, that's in uh, more than one gospel, about the wine and the wineskins. You can't put new wine into old wineskins or the wineskins would burst. So he's, mm. he's saying you can't put these new ideas into a structure because it will explode the structure. Mm. You have to hmm. you have to start from the ground up with this. So his his and and then after after Christ had come and gone and come and gone again, there was a revolution. The Jews did revolt against the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and they lost everything. Hmm. They you know and and I think there's one point where Jesus might have known that was going to happen. You know, uh, uh, and and discouraged it. Right. But they lost everything. They lost their freedom, they lost their temple, they lost everything and became homeless wanderers again. Mm. Uh, and and so it was a total it was a total dressing down. And that began the persecutions of Jews and Christians, the religious persecutions in the Roman Empire. So his I guess the point I'm making is his teaching in that regard is rev- was revolutionary to his religion at the time. And is still revolutionary today. It's well, not yeah, it the form sense. that the church took. Well, you know, here's a couple of things I was thinking about when you were speaking. First of all, 
I mean, the obvious is all this violence and killing, and yet you have in the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not kill." Like, there's not even a, there's not even an idea of it's trying. It's not nuanced. Not to, it's not nuanced. It's not even like oh, we're trying. You know, we, we didn't mean to, but we had to. It's more like no one cares. I mean, there, if that's the basis behind the New Testament, we don't even remotely try to fall on those commandments, you know? Yeah, we hit so, it with a yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. thou shall not care. Yeah, but he was coming on to my wife, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I was justified. <laughs> then you go right to the justification, which yeah. is exactly the kind of language that Christian nationalists use today. The yeah, but language, you know, it's like you're supposed to love all mankind. Yeah, but these people are Jews, you know, these people right. are Muslims, they're infidels, you know, we got to do well, something about it. Well, that's another thing, I still can't get over how did Jesus become a white man? He was not, but, he wasn't white, and, 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 you know, why is that, like, how can you, why don't they just make up their own religion at this point? I mean, it's like, it's so far away from Christianity at all in terms of, like, the image in terms of, you know, also the wealth, you know, the money, and Jesus wasn't into money from what I could tell. It's, it seems so far away. How can you, how can anyone not see that? Like, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard, except that you just have to see what an exception he was in his day and what an exception he still is. He was not a Christian. He was a Jew. You know, the, the, the Christians came around really, formulated in the fourth century as an official thing. Now, when you ask how Jesus became white, you know, the, the, the stories in the New Testament are all stories about Middle Eastern people, you know, in, in general, Middle East, the Near East. And when Constantine converted and converted his whole empire, and then they went out into the world and force converted, it became a European religion. So by the time of um, the War of the Roses in England and, and, and things like that, the, the 1500s, you know, by then, the, you know, England and Spain and France, they were all identified with the church as governed. They were one with them. So the, the whole story, whereas in the Middle East, there was other stuff going on. You know, Islam spread like wildfire. As soon as, as soon as it happened in 600 AD, it went everywhere in the area. I mean, it covered a lot of ground and it led to a large step forward in, in the Middle East in terms of culture, sophistication, education. It, it, it made by the 10th century, you know, uh, Persia was the, the most well-developed culture in the world. And they came up with a system of numbers that we still use. They came up with a system of merchant practices that we still use. You know, it was a very highly evolved, while my ancestors were still eating with their hands, you know. It was, uh, it, it, in other words, Christianity did not really cast a shadow in that part of the world. It was European. It was a European religion. So as a European religion, all of the symbology around it becomes European, you know, and it, and it, and it mingles in with, uh, you know, Irish mythology, you know, the Celtic mythology. It mingles in with all of these things in terms of, you know, like the Christmas tree, all these kinds of things become a part of what we accept as Christianity. And it, it, when you say it's a whole new religion, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was a religion that was born 400 years after the life of Christ. Mm. And, uh, you know, within its history, there is a lot of good and a lot of bad. You know, there, there, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of oppression. But there is also the Christian movement had a lot to do with uh, the suffragettes, had a lot to do with the abolition of slavery. And then finally in the 60s had a lot to do with the equal rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, you know, and, and all of that. It's just like if you go over to Hinduism and look at Gandhi, um, the, within, within any religious tradition, I think you have two religions, mm -hmm. basically. And, and Gandhi uh, was preaching total pacifism. He was influenced by the teachings of Christ, but he, he was also highly influenced by the Bhagavad Gita and other uh, Hindu scripture. And 
he, uh, you know, he led, as we know, kind of a, a glorious revolution. But within Hinduism, there was another strong force that was violent and oppressive and that wanted to, you know, go to war with the Muslims again. You know, it's, it's war with the Muslims. Got to have it. And he preached against it. He said, don't go to war with people because their religion is different. Every religion is justified. You know, he, he had a very modern view of that, and he was killed by the leader of that other movement in Hinduism who later took control of things. Uh, that it was, uh, so you, you, you look at Gandhi, you say, well, does he represent Hinduism? No, not really. Uh, does Jesus represent Christianity? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, I like that, actually. And then there's this whole, like, underground movement with Christianity that's connected to hermeticism and alchemy and all that at times had to hide. And it's all about inner work, though there was also the attempt to find real gold. But, but so... Well, that, but that, that is the counter tradition. Right. You know, and, and that's what Jesus represents the most in my opinion, is the counter-tradition. Of any tradition, there's the thing that goes against it. And as soon as you have an organization, you have a pecking order, you have, you know, all of these things. And Jesus' Jesus's philosophy or teachings is to explode all of that or turn it all on its head, level the playing field. The, 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 the low will be raised up, the high will be brought down. Uh, which sounded to the Romans like uh, revolutionary talk, you right? Know? And it was about it was always about the inner person. It was always about the soul and how you you change that, you change the way you think, and what you do will be the outgrowth of it. But whereas one tradition is all about controlling what people do, Jesus was about controlling what people are on the inside. Yeah, I remember reading that, and I might have been in Colin Wilson's book on the occult. That's a great book. It was. It, I'm not sure it was that one, but it was something like that. They talked about Jesus being the one to introduce the inner world. Yes, yes. And I loved that. Yes. And I said, oh, that that because I when I first started uh, my spiritual practice, I really resonated with Edgar Casey's talk about the Christ within us. And I wasn't brought up anything. My parents both didn't like religion, so. I found I res I really resonated with how he described what the Christ was, and how it's in all of us. And then some theosophists believe that this country—I don't know if it's this country or the world—is under the Christ energy, like it's in charge of us. This Christ, hmm. so that we're all meant to kind of connect in some way. And I don't think it matters if you're a different religion. So it was more of a more of this like consciousness is being that sort of oversees humanity right now and I don't I, I don't remember all the specifics but it's been a while but that I think that's what the theosophists say that's why we all you know it's good for us to know what that means because it's actually influence us spiritually you I think you said a very important thing is that it doesn't matter if you're a member of another religion right that's the revolutionary idea that happened with the first century Christians because they had to decide they were, you know, they had Jewish people following them and they had gone into it with the idea that we're all Jews, right? And then the Gentiles wanted in. They were coming around in bigger numbers and just as excited. And Peter and Paul in the book of Acts have to make the choice of saying, it, you know, before, in other words, the question was, before these Gentiles can come to the Lord's table and partake in communion, do they have to go through all of the steps of becoming Jewish? Do they have to, uh, uh, you know, they have? Are they circumcised? You know, the, these kinds of questions, and they came to the decision that they are judged solely by what's on their inside. Solely, no other consideration is made by God. The idea that you do not have to belong to a specific religion to be within the reach of God. That's a revolutionary idea today still. Yeah. People haven't gotten that through their heads yet. You know, and so much, you look at so much of the wars that our country gets into mm -hmm. against Islamic states or states where there are Muslims. And, and, and what secretly drives it 
is the idea that we are killing infidels. An infidel slain is Christendom's gain, which was a saying that was very popular during the Spanish Inquisition. Wow. The idea that if you're in this religion, your job is to kill everybody who's not. And that is, it sounds stupid the way I say it, and I I don't think anybody would outwardly say it that Mm. way, but that is the dark side of what's going on. That's a dark side of what drives what's going on. And it keeps us from focusing on the inner work because we're focused on this outer work of maintaining a church building, counting the, you know, counting the money, how many people are coming. And of course, because it's God's church, it is within God's approval that we have a big bank account, you know, that we have lots of finances. And then the people who lead the church say, well, since I am doing so much work for God, that God approves of me taking a little bit of the money, you know, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And the, the, all of these scandals, there's Jim and Tammy Faye, all of these scandals that you get with these big money televangel televangelist movements um that it it always ends up being kind of the same story Mm -hmm. somebody's making too big a grab you know what's interesting too this whole idea of it the violence and oppression being woven into certain part of christian history is i mean you can see it in the old testament we've talked about this before the the god of the old testament is so mean and you know, go kill these people, and 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 jealous, and they, you know, it, it, they sound the god sounds more like a pagan god. All the pagan gods were allowed well, to have like those emotions, and they fought each other. So, the whole idea of monotheism had not really happened yet. You know, it's like God is saying, "Worship me," not those other gods. Right. He's not saying they're not real. He's just saying, <laughs> I'm, "I'm the God of Moses. That's the God you worship." That things were still very tribal mm. in that religion. The whole idea of monotheism takes a very long time to develop, mm. and and has developed by the time of Jesus. Um, and and the prophets did a lot to push it in that direction, uh, but they took a lot of heat for doing so, and. Uh, so it the the idea of if there's only one God, then it's it's kind of coincidental that I go to the very church that that one God approves of. You know, it's <laughs> hey, imagine that happening again. It would happen again in a million years, but by some coincidence, I happen to attend the right church, and uh, so I am blessed to basically kill and maim anybody who doesn't. Yeah, I, you know, I've thought a lot about the whole killing and violence in, in the world still. And there's a couple of things I've come across that, that are interesting. One, in theosophy, again, they're the different rays. And one of the rays I think we're under is, I think it's the fourth ray, I'm not quite sure, but it's basically um, harmony through conflict. And I had been thinking that for quite a long time, that we are here on earth not to be peaceful. We're here to handle conflict and to learn the methods of handling conflict. To me, that makes more sense. Now, how we handle conflict can evolve. Anyone that's had long relationships can see, hopefully, if you're evolving, like how you used to yell at each other, and now we like do this, or we have a timeout, and we try different things. And I thought, well, that's something I think that's workable, in that, okay, we are a violent species, and that's in us, but can we start to do things differently? Can we, do we have to, you know, killing in me, to me is just a lack of patience, basically. A big lack. Okay, let's just get rid of them. They're really annoying. I, I can't take them. Let's just wipe them out. You know, that's really what it is. It's, we have no patience. And, and you know, from history, anything that has been a, a big change will take decades behind the big moment, like the civil rights movement. There's like a lot of history before we got to Martin Luther yeah. King. Yeah, oh yeah. And then when you start reading, you're like, oh my God, how did they stick with it? You know, how did this one, you know, there are people, even in our local activists, they'll stick with one thing for 10 years to make a change. And then you see how long it takes for something small like that. Yeah. And so we, I think killing is just quicker. And, and and means we don't have to develop patience and tolerance. Yeah, well, but patience and tolerance both 
qualities that Christ approved of, you know, and, and encouraged us to develop, uh, those are seen as a weakness to people in this other religion, you know, people who look at the church in terms of strength, numbers, money, power, uh, that that tolerance is seen as a weakness. And, and very much like in politics, you started to get, you know, there was always the, the, the Democrats are coming out with this language of diversity. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, the Republicans says, why is diversity a good thing? Why is that good? You know, we people should adapt to this culture. People should become good white Anglo-Saxon Christians like they were meant to be, you know. And, and so you have these two different sides of every religion constantly at war, you know, in a sense. Maybe not physical war, but uh, ideological war. Well, that's definitely one of the reasons to separate religion and politics. And, and even, you know, I think religion, there are certain roles um, people play in religion where you want to be out there and people know that you're a Christian or you're a pagan. But I don't think we all have to talk about it all the time. Like, I mean, I, I, I look at the pagan world more and everyone's saying, I'm a witch and I'm a, who cares? I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're doing it for your livelihood, sure. You, you don't need status. Yeah, it's you a status, a stand, you know, yeah. especially being a witch is like cool, you know. And I was like, well, not in certain countries. It's definitely not cool. <laughs> you don't want to go to certain African countries and say you're a witch. No, no. So, you know, but this this idea of the, the, um, maybe more privacy in our spiritual world and just living our beliefs will be more effective. This is exactly what Christ taught. I right. mean that I mean you can you can find that almost word for word in scripture. Uh, that is what he taught. That is what as soon as Christianity was a church, it did not do. You know, it 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 is it in a sense, it's hard to say when you know people say, ah, oh, there's too much religion and politics and other people say oh there's too much politics in religion the uh which came you know which came first and the you know the idea is the jeffersonian ideal and and really that that's one of the ways in which this nation proved its exceptionalism from the beginning with thomas jefferson's insistence that we be as a state connected to no church connected to no religion this was a big break from everything i mean in england it was, there's so many of these people had come from england and ireland and scotland and in england still i mean there was there was all of this you go through uh, the period of the tudors the uh henry the seventh henry the eighth and then Mary, and then Elizabeth, you have this continual warfare in England between Catholics and Protestants. Constant. People getting beheaded constantly. And it was, you know, Henry VIII converted to Protestantism, and he he stole a bunch of stuff that the church owned, and he, you know, beheaded people. And then uh, after him, uh, Edward, his son, becomes the king, and he's a kid. But he's insisting that this become a predominantly Protestant country. And people were beheaded and people were hunted down. And then he died at a very young age. He died, I think, at age 15. And his sister Mary, who was a Catholic, who was the daughter of the Spanish princess that there's this great series about. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, uh, the princess from Spain whose mother and father were Ferdinand and Isabella fighting the Spanish Inquisition. She was Catholic. She stayed Catholic. Her mother was was Catherine of Aragon. I may have the name wrong, but that was her mother. She was a Catholic. So when she became queen, she said, no, we're going back to Catholics. And there were people beheaded and there were all these wars and all this stuff. And then when she died... Elizabeth took over, and she was there for a long time. She brought it all back to Protestantism. She was much more tolerant than her siblings had been. But there was this idea that our culture is a Protestant culture. And we have what became very important in the Episcopalian Church, more important to some people than the Bible, was the common book of prayer, which would be in English, Mm. which would not be in Latin. And that, that becomes the the state church of England. So when 
you know, the, uh, the colonists came over here from England, their purpose was to get away from that. Mm. That was their purpose. Hmm. And uh, they weren't, you know, there was not a unanimity about it, but Thomas Jefferson is the guy you have to credit. There was a lot wrong with Jefferson, but you have to credit him throughout his life. He was stubborn about this. There would be no national religion. Mm. And that makes this country very different. Ah. If you think about it, yeah. I mean, it, it it really does. There are still problems. There is still oppression. There is still violence. There's still all that stuff, uh, and there are movements within the country of of uh, Christian nationalism that come and go, but mostly they go. Mm. Really, right? I mean, that's I I don't I don't want I don't want to be all flag wavy here, but that is an exceptional thing about this country. Mm-hmm. Jefferson believed in God. He wrote about God. He didn't particularly belong to a church, and he didn't politic. Politi- he did not ascribe to the uh, the idea of the miracles of Christ in certain aspects of Christianity. But the idea that we are a nation under God, yes, absolutely, we are. But that don't mean you got to go to church. That doesn't mean you have to go to a specific church. And that was very important to him. And it's it's you know it's it's in the language of the Declaration of Independence, and it worked its way into the Constitution, even though Jefferson didn't write the Constitution. Uh, so that's I think that is, in my opinion, what American exceptionalism is all about. Hmm. Now, if if this history of oppression and violence within Christianity is very strong, is this something that is inevitable to continue? Is there some way, as an individual? we can start to, you know, change the direction of the current, even if it's slowly. Oh, I think that'll happen. I th- I, I, I'm very optimistic about that. Um, I think that will happen. And in fact, I uh, have long believed that uh, the church, the Christian church as we now know it, its days are numbered. That it, you know, in, in fact, I believe that, that Roman Catholicism won't make it another hundred years. I've said this on the show before, unless they start letting women in as priests. <laughs> that would give them a, a longer life, I right. think. But if you just, you know, the Christianity is not growing in this country. It's the only place Christianity is growing in numbers is south of the equator. Uh, in, 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 it, it, it is growing in places down south. But uh, but in general, it ha- it's 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 slowly but surely kind of losing ground, and I think it's because of the violence of the symbols. I think people become so evolved; they just know better, mm. and I think that is happening. I believe, as of course I was raised a Met- Methodist and read a lot of John Wesley, and Wesley believed that we are on our way to perfection, and I believe that too. I look at history and I see that. Uh, I think that we are, you might say, evolving into something much more sophisticated and better. I'd like to think that. I mean, that's a very Buddhist idea, too. And I don't see enough evidence, but I do. Th- <laughs> you don't see enough evidence? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, especially in the United States right now. I, I'm not I'm not a well, pessimist, We're though. in the middle of this whole media thing. I mean, we're in the middle of this whole world of social media and uh, all of that. And it's fairly new. And we don't quite know how to handle it yet. We don't know how to take it in stride yet for what it is. You know, it's like you and, and we will. It, it's not going anywhere, and, and and we will learn to not be so manipulated by it. Mm. Well, and, and that's I agree with that to some degree, but the the level of of unconscious participation, even when we now know we're being manipulated, even after you know we find out about the bots and the I Russians, think, I think and that's slowly letting that, go. That we're like we're still so easily let down these wrong paths and and you know the other thing i you know because i i i don't spend much time on it to tell you the truth and i try not to because the more i feel like there are two worlds at this point there's virtual world and then there's the physical world <laughs> and they really are they affect each other they they affect each other but they're very different in terms of energy yeah and 
if you want to spend more time in the physical world, you can't always be in front of a screen. It, it, there's just a different thing that happens to you, even just taking walks around the neighborhood. You don't have to do anything fancy. You just have to say, well, I'm just going to get to know my physical world more. I'm going to go spend time going down that street, or maybe I'll talk to my neighbor who I found out I really don't like, but I'll still talk to them. But And, and there's just a different way the human is being formed. And I, I know that the virtual is important, but it's so out of balance and people really don't see it. They, well, they, they really don't. Especially they, when you have a situation where people are whipped by the virtual world up into doing violence in the physical world. Yeah. And, and because of the time they spend and the high value they put on the virtual world, they're concerned for the physical world and its future and its, its well-being and all that is less. You know, it's, it's, it's not as important as the virtual world. So the virtual world gives me an instruction. Go to Washington, D.C. on January 6th with your guns now. And it wasn't the whole society. It was, what, a few thousand people or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, enough to certainly cause some trouble and some damage and, 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 and scare the bahooties off of the rest of us. Uh, but it's not a mass movement. But there there are armies of crazies that can be raised. Yeah. And so when you bring religion into it, that is an assimilation of Christian symbols to do what is basically something that is being done from the virtual world. I, I don't believe. Now, maybe it's happening. I don't believe. I go to a good church. Maybe somebody else doesn't. But... I don't think they're getting that in church. No, no, I don't think, I think so either. they're getting that, you know, in the virtual world with the assimilation of Christian symbols, and they and and the people don't see the cutoff. They don't mm-hmm. see, you know, the the I'm Christian here in church. I take my Christianity over here, and now I got to go kill people. You know, it's it's uh, uh, it's a, a misuse, as 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 you have put it, uh, of Christian symbols for that uh and i i'm just saying and i condemn the misuse and i and it is a misuse Mm -hmm. but i'm just saying that one of the things that makes it happen or helps it happen is the violence that is already woven into the christian tradition we have a history we have uh uh, you know, many long years of oppression. And there, as I said before, there's also a story of, of liberation going on mm-hmm. that is driven by the teachings of Christ and, and the Christian church or, or, or certain members of it. Uh, but that's not all that's going on. Well, the, the violence and the oppression, well, especially the violence, is, is definitely also coming through in other uh, religions because of the whole blood sacrifice that was part of it yes and that maybe it just hasn't left us that i I read this in fate magazine of all things it was this really interesting little article about are we being sort of manipulated by vampire gods and i thought and then the point was that we're still doing blood sacrifice on some level and we're all doing it we don't call it that so it wasn't really about real vampires it was this i got thinking about it said well you know this person's got a good point it is like we're still participating because of course blood is powerful it's life i mean we're still learning what blood can tell us but we don't have to spill it well when you talk about the, the power when you talk about blood sacrifices that was religion you know back before christ yeah. that was religion and the uh, it was something that both the the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, prophet Jeremiah, and Jesus warned against. Don't do this. Do not. This is not anything God wants. And the uh, it it kind of disappeared after that from mainstream religion. But it represents the entire idea of a religion being more important than human life. And that's the decision in order to, you know, kill for Christ or in in a justifiable war, you know, World War II. You're a soldier over there. The chaplain tells you, you know, Jesus wants you to go out there and fight. And, uh, you know, but to do it, you can't do it. You literally can't do it. If you're stuck in the idea that human life is sacred, 
You know, if you if, if you're stuck in that idea, you can't do it. You have to become a conscientious objector, or you have to get a desk job, or you know something that gets you out of it because you can't do it. You might be doing something that contributes to it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just uh, but you know, again, there are we look at World War II as a war that was justified or whatever. There, there's there's uh, there's a history of it one way or the other all the way through. Christianity, and I don't single it out. I mean, other religions have that too. Mm. But the 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 you have to make the decision to break that commandment at a certain point. And once you've made that decision, everything becomes different. Mm-hmm. Your relationship with God becomes different. God has empowered me in a special way, so the commandments do not really apply. And if one doesn't apply, the other nine don't apply. You know. Yeah. Uh, that I, I think subliminally, that's that's the process that people go through uh, when they lose it. You know, when they completely mm-hmm. lose track of the teachings of Jesus. It seems from listening to you, it's almost like the teachings of Jesus have not happened yet. And, that, uh, that he was so far ahead. Yeah. Of, I mean, he he sounds more evolved than God of the Old Testament. His teachings, if you think about, again, that vengeful God. and well, you, you have to remember, though, that God is being reported to us by Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses mm. is telling us about this. Mm. You know, it's not God telling us about this. Everything is point of view. Everything is subjective mm. in the storytelling of both uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You cannot ignore the subjectivity involved, and you cannot confuse it with an actual experience of God. Well, you can, but it's it's not, uh, I don't think it's effective to do so. That, that, that a person's experience with God is in the right now. God only lives in the right now. And, you know, the, the, the past is, is clouded by our sentiment. The future is clouded by our fears. You know, it's, it's right now where God is alive and where God can enter into your life in a productive way. Now, there are people that argue that because young people are not joining churches or synagogues even, that religion itself is going to like disappear and I don't agree with that I don't just don't think it's quite that radical well, I don't think it's going to disappear but I think it's going to change uh, I, I, I think it is definitely going to change and the fact that young people have not come into churches this is not insignificant I mean this is really happening and you go into you know you go into the finances of any church program in Los Angeles Los Angeles was mostly laid out as we know it now in the 50s the 1950s which was the height of the church movement in this Mm. country. And so this city was built in a way where there's just a ton of these really ornate churches in this city. What they didn't know was this is the height. From here on, it just just dwindles. Mm. And, And so now we have all of these buildings, church buildings that are used for other things or torn down or whatever. And, and it's, it's, there still are churches, but we didn't need quite so many. And, and as the days go by, every day, we, we need fewer, in a sense. And I think that is significant. And I think what would bring it back is getting rid of some of the oppression and the violence that is woven into the religion. There is a movement in, in my sect, the Disciples of Christ, uh, called the anti-substitutionary movement. I, I know I've talked about that to you before on on this very show, but uh, it's it's uh, a revolt against the idea that Jesus was on the cross substituting for us, paying for our sins, and that this was necessary. That it was necessary for this man to die because of all the sinning we have done. And really... It may not really be necessary that somebody die, and it and it might actually not be God's intention. Mm-hmm. And when I raise that question, uh, it throws into question so much of what is said in the Catholic Mass or a Protestant church service. Uh, when you do communion, you talk about you know before he died for us, he sh- we're cutting up his body, we're drinking his blood. And all of that blood stuff, even though physically, I think Jesus kind of put an end to it, but yeah. it was all in the, it, it, it was metaphoric 
the blood of Christ. You know, it's 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 we're still talking about the image of basically an animal being sacrificed, the Lamb of God. You know, the uh, the we're drinking the blood, we're eating the body, all of this kind of stuff, uh, which is all metaphorical. It's just we don't really do it. Right. We we just uh, and of course in in Catholic world and certain certain amount of uh, Church of England world uh, there is transubstantiation. So we believe through the magic of our religion that these substances are transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus. So we are actually eating and drinking it. This kind of imagery is violent. No kidding. I saw that Mel Gibson movie, and you know what? I wish I had not. It was really effective. I mean, I'm not saying I believe I thought, in everything. I, I, I thought it was a very well-made movie. It was given beautiful. His, yeah. given his, he's a powerful filmmaker. It was But given beautiful. his point of view, and of course he was just doing what, what we used to call the passion, the passion right. plate. It has nothing to do with the resurrection. It's just about Good Friday. You know? right. it's, it's, uh, it's a story about the actual suffering of Christ. And and there is an indulgence in that movie that is beyond anything in the world that brings that out in people. The the passion play, I know I've talked about this on your show before, but the passion play was before Eugene O'Neill and the tradition of great American playwriting, the plash, the passion play and Shakespeare, that was American theater. And it was a very popular play. And they finally outlawed it in Chicago in the 1920s because after seeing the Passion Play, people would go out and murder Jews, just kill oh them in their bed. God. And it, it would happen every time oh, they did it. dear God. And so they finally made it illegal. Wow, that is really you, serious. You could not perform the Passion Play in Chicago. Too many murders oh, resulted. It could have been my family on my father's side. It was really that's and again and that that gets to what I'm saying is when you have that violent a story, yeah, and we whip up that kind of revenge, you know, hate uh, of what was done to our Lord and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he wants me to be a nice guy about it, but I'm gonna fix those guys. He really wants me to go out and get the there's revenge. one obvious thing to me about the crucifixion is that Jesus sounds like he was a pacifist. And he was living his beliefs. Like the reason he could be crucified was he... He didn't put up a fight. He didn't put up a no. fight. He could have left. He knew it was coming. He didn't say, I'm innocent. He, you got he, the wrong guy. He, he, to me, that's probably more meaningful. And then the people that we admire sometimes that have led the life like Jesus have been willing to be sacrificed and they haven't fought and they and I'm not saying personally I'm not into martyrdom but I No, but there's a lot of that, that in the history of Christianity that, as that, well. Yeah. People who would not fight, right. who who would not oppress, who would not be violent and they were killed. Yeah. And that seems to be to me a little at least more aligned with what Jesus is saying, yes. "Hey, we've got to stop fighting. I'm even willing to die, people, because I don't want to perpetuate if if you kill my mother, then my family kills yours, and it goes back and forth forever, right? And that's that's why it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't end things, you yes. know? Yes, yes. And that's the problem with the violence being sewn into the religion. And what, you know, I, I had a class when I was at, I uh, see we're running out of time. I had a class when I was at Princeton taught by a revolutionary guy named Richard Shaw, who got thrown out of Brazil for um, fomenting a revolution there. But, you know, he talked about the fact that Christianity is, the clock is, the time is running out for these old symbols. They must be replaced. Hmm. So new symbols. New symbols, yeah. I like that idea. That that have, and, and that's what the substitution, the anti-substitutionary movement in my church is all about. And I was pulled into a conference of rewriting the words of the communion to take all the violence out and and substitute instead an anti-violence message. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that was going on. Well, it's going to make a lot of people mad, but I think that's where we're headed. Well, they're mad anyway, those They're people. mad anyway. <laughs> they got to be mad anyway, so I'm why sorry. not at you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we're, we're getting close to the end of the show. I want to thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you so much for having me and, and letting me just go on like this uh, because it's it's a rare opportunity as, 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 a, as a minister of the church 
you got to kind of watch your P's and Q's sometime. And I come mm. in here and I just totally misbehave and I appreciate it. We love that you misbehave <laughs> and we love having you here. So you're always welcome. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.